Can you heal from abuse? What do I do after leaving my narcissist? What does a healthy relationship look like? These concerns cross the minds of over 20 people every minute, over 28,800 people every day. And the sad fact is, we still don't talk about it enough. Healing from emotional abuse isn't a band-aid situation, but it doesn't have to take years either. The lives of millions of other survivors around the world have been impacted by their narcissist. Yours doesn't have to. To show you how to live a free, confident, and peaceful life, your host and founder of the Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy, Marissa F. Cohen. This episode of Healing from Emotional Abuse is brought to you by the Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy. Have you ever wondered why you keep falling for the same type of person, wondering when it's going to be your turn to have control of your life? Now is the time. The Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy, the three keys to overcoming narcissism, is an easy-to-follow program where I show you how to release your trauma in a safe and healthy way, build resilience, confidence, self-esteem, self-love, and self-worth, and then rebuild your environment. Surround yourself with healthy people and energy. Your life is yours, and the decisions you make should reflect the people in your life who deserve to be there. People who treat you with kindness and respect, who value you and show you that you are worthy of love every single day. Friends who love and support you and are positive and inspirational and a partner who encourages you to achieve your goals and think bigger than you've ever thought before. Following my three-step system will change your life. I fell into the cycle of abuse, dating narcissist after narcissist, each one of them taking a piece of me with them. And I struggled to know who I was or who I could trust for a long time but I learned all the right steps to take and want to help everyone else who's struggling like I did do the same. I don't want to lose any more survivors to suicide, addiction, or self-harm. There is help out there. So I'm offering my book, The Healing from Emotional Abuse Philosophy, The Three Keys to Overcoming Narcissism for free. Scan the QR code in the show notes to get your free copy of my best-selling book filled with exercises and activities to help you overcome your trauma. In addition to my book, I'm also offering a free coaching session where we'll put together a healing plan specifically for you. Make an appointment with me at schedulealcallwithmarissa.com. That's schedule, S-C-H-E-D-U-L-E, a call, C-A-L-L, with Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-S-A.com. It's time to take your life back and live with confidence, freedom, and peace.
Welcome back to Healing from Emotional Abuse. I'm Marissa F. Cohen, your host. And today we are joined with guest James. Amazing, amazing James, the incredible, magical James to talk to us about attachment styles. But today specifically, we are going to talk about secure attachment and avoidant attachment. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So James, yes. um, as we have established, is a licensed professional counselor and LPC. That I, that I am. With 10 years of experience. Yes. Working with children. And families and, and psychosis. Family. And psychosis and schizophrenia was like his, yes. his favorite thing to work with. Yes. Good and job. he went to Rowan University with me. Sadly. And and he has no embarrassing stories of me because I'm perfect. She's she just in a walking embarrassment. <laughs> so today I want to talk about secure attachment and avoidant attachment styles um, to give you guys more of an in-depth understanding about what each attachment style looks like personified. And that way you have a better, a better capability of figuring out which attachment style you have and working on that if that's something that you wanted to do. Are we ready, James? Yes, and my mouth is securely attached to this microphone. Oh, goody. Very good for that. <laughs> I promise I don't talk like that. I promise. <laughs> you should do this whole episode like Jack Black. <laughs> like, what do you mean? That so, tenacious James. Like, what? Perfect. This, this is not a podcast. This is only a tribute. <laughs> Yes, no. This entire this entire podcast episode is brought to you by Nacho Libre. <laughs> yes, free free chips. That's what you're trying in Spanish. Okay. Free free nacho. I listen, I could go I could go for some free nachos. I'm not even a fr- I'm not even a kid. I'm not gonna front. Excellent. Awesome free nachos now. Chicken for nachos, like <sighs> cold chicken. Oh, so good. Stop it. Stop it. Oh, you're such you're such a tease. All right. <laughs> Uh, jump right in <laughs> yes no no all right so if if you've been following the last like i don't even know how many episodes i'm in now like 16 or uh, three all right big difference um yeah i i think well we did the, yeah like you said we did an overview but i think it'd be helpful to kind of delve in a little bit I, and i i figured the, and i think these two coupled together are pretty good because they are polar opposites <laughs> in some ways um I would agree because secure attachment requires the the ability to um, foster a relationship and and know what is needed to be done and and have a healthy attachment to somebody versus an avoidant person um, like you explained in the episode where we did this overview um, is more of a person that's independent that kind of shuns all relationships and avoids relationships because they think they can do everything by themselves, right? And for all, well, there's reasons for it. So, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, no, no. I mean, so let's start with the gold standard. Let's start with you know what we're going to be like, basically our our baseline. What are we going to be comparing comparing the other three against? So the healthy one, your healthy one, is the secure attachment. Secure attachment again is what you want. That's what you want with everybody. You know, ideally, what you want with everyone in your life, the relationships in your life, right? They're they're characterized by trust. Um, reciprocal communication, uh, accountability, teamwork, right? All the things that we think of, you know, being, uh, enjoying spending time with each other, mm-hmm. you know, you don't dread seeing the person. 
respect and support, right? Absolutely. All the above. Mm-hmm. When, when you think of like, I know I've said this a couple of times, but like when you think of like a lifetime movie at the end, when they're, they're you know, they're, they're kissing in front of the snow coming down, right. In the Christmas <laughs> movies. No, I, but again, like, at the, like when you think of a, a, a 1950s you know family and everything's perfect and you know great of course that's unrealistic perfect yeah um put that in quotation marks but the no but again it was but that's what you want you want those that type of commitment and you want that type of trust in a relationship and not just and not just and again not just romantic that's that's within your family that's with your siblings your friendships your co-workers across the board you know, you want to be able to trust somebody. You want to be able to to be able to go to them for something. You want to be, and, and know that they're going to follow through and, and keep their word. Um, Which is actually, I'm going to interrupt you for a second, a really do. big red flag for narcissists, someone who doesn't keep their appointments, who doesn't keep their promises, um, somebody who's not accountable. Uh-oh, is that you? Oh, you know what? No, no. How dare you? How dare you? I know I had to reschedule once or twice, but come on. <laughs> no, my word, I'm here. <laughs> You're here. You made it. You made it. Um, no, but a narcissist is someone who will, I mean, this isn't the only qualifier, but a big qualifier is somebody who doesn't keep their promises, who doesn't keep their appointments, who doesn't remain accountable or take responsibility for their actions. So um, if your partner is not exhibiting or is exhibiting those, you know, the lack of integrity, you know, then, then they might be a narcissist. It's something to really keep in mind, but I'm so sorry. Continue. How dare you? How dare you? Now I will say this. So something I think would be beneficial to kind of go over is how does, so again, when you're a child, secure attachment is, is of the utmost importance. Um, do you remember the, um, Oh God, I don't even know if you remember this. So from psychology, do you remember the Harlow monkeys? I do. Harlow monkey experiment. Ah, that was all about attachment. Yeah. That was all about attachment. So there was a, a experiment done back in, I think that was sixties. I think that was the 1960s. Um, they had these, they had these little baby monkeys. And if you ever watch, there's actually a video of this too. If you look on YouTube and just type in like Harlow's monkeys, you'll find this. The monkeys were adorable. They're little baby monkeys and they have a, now we're talking about primal <laughs> instinct, of course, but they're they're like one of the main characteristics of Harlow's monkeys is the their ability to securely attach. Um, and they even made they made faux mothers, I guess, out of wire and mesh, <laughs> which was pretty interesting to mimic their moms. And they found that those babies that had even had the the the, the fake mother, the wire one, the wire like still had secure attachment. Because it still mimicked that, so they, I mean, so what they were able to see is that the monkeys, and I hate to say it, even like you see this with children too, is that whenever they're in the presence of whoever they're securely attached to, they're confident enough to go explore. They feel confident about themselves within the relationship, but they also know that that person, or that in this case, the the, the monkey, <laughs> the mother, the mama monkey, was still there to to support them. If they if they started to get scared, like they could run back and they like, but then again, they then they when they feel comfortable, they would go back out. They would try to explore a little bit more, and if something spooked them, they ran right back. Um, you see that a lot with babies, right? You see that a lot with infants and toddlers. Um, 
but I hate to say it, even with the, as you know, even as adults, but going back to the children, if you see that where you have a supportive parent or supportive guardian, you have someone that validates you and helps you build up your self-esteem and your confidence and can, can help you to appropriately communicate your feelings and understanding that, you know, even when you hit a rut, right, you have a bad day that they're able to help you bounce back. And and the really and you don't you don't sit there and and just ruminate on the bad. <laughs> right? We 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 focused on this one thing. It's resolved. We move on. You know, and not not just sitting there and focused on it. So that's a, again now that can carry over into adulthood. You know, I mean, everything I'm describing is same, some of the same characteristics you should have as an as an adult. Right. They did a, an experiment similar to Harlow's monkeys with children in a waiting room. So they had um, a child with a secure attachment and they had their parent with a couple toys and a couple other strange adults. Wasn't so that Ainsworth? Had, say again? Was that Mary Ainsworth? I don't remember. A strange I, situation? I think so. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, if anybody wants to look at it, it's called the strange situations by Mary Ainsworth. Famous scientist. Go ahead. Sorry. So they, no, you're fine. So they had um, a child in a waiting room with a couple toys, their, I think their mother, and then a couple other strange women, so strangers to that child. And so while the child, while the mother was in the waiting room, that child would play with toys, would approach the other adults, you know, would, would experiment and explore their surroundings. And then they had the mother get up and leave the room. And it was just the child with a couple toys and two strange women. And the child went crazy, like just didn't go crazy, but like just became not confident, wouldn't explore, wouldn't move, just cried and was like very, very startled by not having that person there. Would that be considered a secure attachment? Yeah, because the, the person that they trust is now gone. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> their, their anchor is gone. Right. And that's what I meant. Like the same thing happened with the monkeys. You know, if they didn't have that, they would just, they went crazy. But then if you even put in something that mimicked the, the, the mother, right. The, the being that they're supposed to trust, they were fine. They were fine. They would just run back to the monkey and, or the, the, the wire monkey and be fine. So let's get into how to establish a secure attachment as a child, right? So in past episodes, I believe in the first episode we talked about, uh, we, we did together, we spoke about building blocks. So, you know, you yeah. create an attachment and then the rest of your life compounds on top of that foundation, that, that building block. So let's talk about how to create a secure attachment as a parent to a child um, or what to look for in a healthy relation, parent-child relationship that'll create that safe, stable, secure attachment. This is going to sound odd, <laughs> actually, when I say this. If a child is willing to express extreme, not, I don't say extreme emotion, but if they're willing to, to show even negative emotion around you, you know, even in the form of whining or crying or anything like that, that's actually a good thing. So even as a child, well, think about it this way. You're now their safe space. If you're their safe space, they're going to feel safe enough and secure enough around you that they, that they're going to allow themselves to show that. That makes sense when you say it a like lot that. of time, and you, a lot of people don't think of it that way. It's like, no, they're acting up. No, 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 no. That's and that's why I said earlier, like a couple episodes back, or I don't know how what order you're doing these on, but um, no, again, the 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 fact that they can feel that way, you know, and and you can validate them and make them feel safe and secure and confident in how they're feeling, not not making them feel embarrassed or ashamed for how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. So that that's the other part of it, um, and letting the kid feel. Let the kid have some feelings. 
good and bad. Encouraging emotion is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't say that the first time around, but sometimes just letting the like, and I hate like let kids be kids. You know, let them be a little hyper here and there. Let them be a little, you know, let them giggle when you say the word duty, you know, things like that. No, I've literally seen parents like, how dare you say that's inappropriate. I'm like, every five year old boy and girl that I know, if you make a fart joke, they're going to laugh. I'm 31. I still laugh. Me too. I'm, th- I'm, I'm, I'm Come on. I'm, you know, <laughs> they farted. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing is like, let kids be kids. And, you know, I've literally seen it where it's so regimented and so structured. It's like you're, you're turning the kid, like you're breaking their spirit before the age of five, <laughs> like propping them for the military by the age of seven. Like this is just, you know, and I, I've had to talk to parents about them. Like you need to, you need to loosen up a little. Usually it's the other way around. It's like, you got to tighten up a little bit. Sometimes you got to loosen up. Um, But again, being firm, being consistent um, and just being there, honestly, just being present. People, uh, people underestimate just sometimes just being there, being in the vicinity, not dismissive or absent. And I don't, I don't even mean absent in the, in the form of like, you know, abandoning your child and not talking to them ever again i mean even like working 12 hour days and you're coming home as the kid's going to sleep like that can still be like and i I, the kid is going to perceive that as absent so and again just being there and and showing them that they can trust you you know that you you are going to give them that your unconditional positive regard you know you're going to give them support when they need to and, and just trying to work through it with them that's all And I think it's important in the case of people who work a lot, right? So single parents, a lot of my listeners are um, single parents who have left an abusive situation and they are required to work a lot in order to keep a thriving household or a house over their children's heads. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to mean that you need to quit that job, right? You need to do what you need to do to help your family survive, but designating time, right? So if you do get home 10 minutes before that child's supposed to go to bed, what about reading them a book? You know, you're creating a bond. You I know? tell them all. I tell the families all the time. I said, "What about having dinner together once a week?" Right. It's well, something. 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 You just want to create that that attachment. You want to create that bond. That consistency, like you've been saying. I think consistency is a really a key word here, um, because doing something once in a while, like, okay, I have a day off. Let's go to the aquarium, or I have a day off. Let's go to the park. That's great, but there needs to be that sense of stability. If children don't feel like they have stability, they don't have security. Oh no, no, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, the, the, the I mean, I hate to say it, I think of the examples a lot where like a family is split, a mom and dad, like you said, and the one parent. And there's there, I will say, some parents, some people can co-parent great, fantastically. Um, there's some though that it's like, oh, they they you know the 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 other parent shows up when they want to, basically. Mm-hmm. Which is at their at their convenience, and they don't understand the effect that's having on the child's ability to trust people close to them. Right, absolutely, it makes. But what attachment? Like, what is the attachment looking like? And then that's going to feed into the other insecure types of attachment. But for the secure attachment, you know, being able to sp- even split the time, if that is the case, you know, being equal with it. And some kids thrive; like they really have thrive. Thri- like they they've been great in that type of environment. And I've been fine. Have you experienced narcissistic abuse, emotional abuse, and gaslighting? 
From that experience, you might also be feeling anxious, depressed, insecure, doubting your decision-making, ashamed, confused, isolated, having PTSD flares, cognitive impairment, difficulty sleeping, headaches, trust issues, and so much more. If any of this feels close to home, we want you to know that you are not alone. It is estimated that over 158 million people in the United States alone have experienced emotional abuse, and help is here. We want to invite you to join us on an amazing journey for you to overcome your trauma with a community of people who share your struggle, specifically designed to help you heal your narcissistic trauma, break free from toxicity, and experience the respect, love, and healthy experiences you deserve. It's called More Than Surviving, and it begins on May 14th. This virtual group coaching is a six-week, one-hour-per-week boot camp to kicking your trauma out of your body. It has no place inside of you anymore. Here's just some of what you'll learn from our over 62 years of combined research and real-life experience. Learning how to love yourself again. Identifying the healthy people in your life who will be your support system. Releasing your trauma so you're not holding on to it anymore. Action-based activities and exercises to use when you need them. Building confidence. Boosting self-love. Recognizing yourself, your value and worth, and your needs and acknowledging them. Identifying and celebrating your wins because for so long they've been undermined. Reminding yourself daily of the amazing person you are. Moving past surviving taking back your power and living a life filled with confidence, freedom, and peace, rebuilding the toxicity that might be clouding you and your environment and turning it into a refreshing and healthy, safe space, and learning how to trust yourself again after gaslighting, set better boundaries, and so much more. Will you join us? Visit www.morethansurvivingabuse.com dot com to register now that's www.more m-o-r-e than t-h-a-n surviving s-u-r-v-i-v-i-n-g abuse a-b-u-s-e dot com we'll see you there on may 14th registration ends may 13th so make sure you grab your spot while it's still available So what are some like secure attachment style effects um, as an adult, as an adult? So what do you see in adult relationships that'll determine that you have a secure attachment? They're healthy. (laughs) They're healthy. You know, well, no, I mean, for real though, when you ask that question, like, what is a healthy relationship? That is secure attachment. Mm -hmm. You're able to provide support for one another. You're happy to provide that support for one another. That's something else to think about. Not just that you can, but you're happy to do so. Uh, you can trust each other. I mean, again, it's you're you're in it for the long haul. You're in a team. I mean, even as a, I hate to say, even with your friends uh, and with your family. I, I, I know in my mind, I'm thinking romantically, but those things do carry over into the other relationships. Um, also, being like you said, being able to um, be responsible. In that relationship, take accountability, um, respect, right? Treating each other fairly, equally. The one thing that actually is interesting enough that a lot of people don't think about though is 
even in a healthy relationship, you're still going to have hiccups. Of course. Like I said, I said a few episodes back, you know, social cognition and communication are still boggle my mind 10 years into this profession. And I still haven't figured it out. Um, and I don't think I ever will, but <laughs> well, not because everybody's different and everybody communicates differently. And there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to even a one-on-one conversation, let alone a family or a group. Um, so here's the thing, even in a secure attachment, there's going to be problems, mm-hmm. but in that secure attachment, you're able to do, you're able to communicate, you're able to express your feelings and you're able to show resilience to bounce back from it. So a lot of times, and you see a lot with the insecure attachments, like people will harp on things that happened like two, three years ago. Sometimes (laughs) I remember when you cheated on me, remember when you did this, (laughs) that's not healthy. It's not addressing the, the problem at that moment. And in a healthy attachment, it's like, okay, we've addressed the issue. That's it. We move on. Let's take every Vince Vaughn movie ever and put it into perspective, right? The beginning, <laughs> he's an he's a a bad partner every single time because Vince Vaughn is a terrible actor. <laughs> and he plays himself in every movie. And you know what? If Vince Vaughn is listening to this, please come find me. I'd love to have a conversation with you. But <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, think about it. Ready? The breakup. Okay. He was an irresponsible, unaccountable, disrespectful person who is self, self-righteous and entitled. Okay. And by the end of the movie, he had this big epiphany or whatever happened. Jennifer Aniston, who's way too good for him anyways, left him. Right. And then, you know, he came around and then they had a great healthy relationship, which I mean, that's a whole other episode in and of itself is, you know, abuse and, and relationship styles in movies. But again, are you Vince? Please tell me that face doesn't mean you're a Vince Vaughn fan. No, I think he's ridiculous, but that's why I laugh at him. No, the one I'm just trying to think of a healthy one. There's Um, none with him, but no, 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 I'm not saying with him. I'm saying like a secure attachment. And I mean, a lot of times you're going to see that more in, I can't remember the name of it. Oh my God. Um, I was going to say, in a lot of TV shows, you actually do see secure attachment, usually within the families. Modern Family. No, that's what, that's the one I was, I couldn't think of the name of it. Thank you. Modern Dun- Family. Dunphys, right? They have yeah. a very healthy, secure relationship as a whole family. You yeah. look at the other, okay, even better. Have you ever seen the movie? I think it's either late 80s or early 90s. It's called Parenthood with Steve Martin. And- yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And Mary Steuben. The, I don't remember. Okay. I, just, I remember Steve Martin and Parenthood. Okay. So great movie. And it literally exhibits all four parenting styles. But um, I think it was Steve Martin's family or uh, attachment styles, rather, not parenting styles. Yeah. But Steve Martin's family <laughs> had a really secure attachment because him and his wife communicated well. They respected each other. They set boundaries with each other and they loved their children and they showed that they loved their children and they were there for their children. Even if they weren't always there, they were there and their children felt heard, understood, respected. You know, they trusted their parents. They didn't have to worry about anything. Whereas you look at the other families in that movie and each, it's crazy because each family exhibited a different attachment style, which I thought was really, really smart on the writer's you know, part, but, um, but yeah, so most movies or TV shows that you watch the beginning is if it's a relationship movie, like a rom-com, the beginning of the movie is an insecure attachment. Oh, absolutely. 
And the end of the movie shows a secure attachment style. So it shows, I mean, you can grow together and no matter what happens, you can always develop a secure attachment. It just depends on the people and the personalities. I'm going to be real with you though. If if it's, unless both parties are willing to work on their attachment style, it's usually not going to go well. Which is unlikely. Um, yeah, it's not not likely. Usually, very few people have that that rom com epiphany. Um, no, but that, and that's what I'm saying. It's most sitcoms because of the the consistency, obviously, over episodes. Mm-hmm. You do see a lot of the the, the secure attachment amongst the the primary family. You know mm-hmm. that the, you know the dad or you know the, the mom, like the kids come to them, they talk about their problems, the parents give them feedback. You know, I'm saying like that's that's what you think of. Right. But that's, um, that's the gold standard. That's what you want. You want to have that relationship in your family unit. And then your children can go off or you yeah. can go off and have healthy relationships with others as well. Because you're a healthy person. But not everyone's like that. I know. That's why there's three insecure types of attachment. That's why I have a job. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. But it's true. It's true. I, <laughs> I am not happy that there are narcissists in the world i'm not happy that there are unhealthy relationships i'm actually really upset that that exists i hate to say that's why i have a job is because the world's messed up i love my job and i love what i do i would love to not have to do this because everybody in the world can have a healthy gold standard secure attachment relationship beautiful life unfortunately that's that's not the reality of it and that's why you have a job that's why i have a job that's why you know, 80%. When you put it that way. But it's true. Thanks, Marissa. (laughs) Sorry. Thanks, Marissa. (laughs) You have a job because the world's messed up. (laughs) It's true. I mean, if you think about it, it's true. All right. So it's a nice segue. No, nice segue into the the one attachment style. So pretty much the polar opposite, which is why I thought these two together were kind of nice, is avoidant. Mm -hmm. Avoidant attachment style. So a lot of... And I actually, I used to be this way and this is, and it's actually funny, but it was funny that you said that though, about how like in rom-coms, the, the attachment style changes it, over my years, it has changed and it's changed in different parts of my life. So, I mean, it, so just to give you that idea, it, it, and even for, even though you might have one type of attachment style with one person, but then have a different type with someone else. And there's, diff, there's a lot of different reasons for that, but, you know, different factors and, um, you know, personalities at play, but the avoidant personnel or avoidant attachment style, um, typically people that are way too independent and think that they can handle everything on their own. <laughs> so it's, you know, somebody that thinks they're self-sufficient can, you know, no matter what, like I got this, which is, I hate to say, this is probably the three worst words anyone can tell themselves. Um, even when they're offered help, they just shot it, like shoot it down. Um, need anyone? No, I need no one. I can do this. I'm independent. I'm a strong, independent woman that don't need no man. But, but, but I, that's kind of the mentality. It's true. I don't need no one. Um, like cat, right? Cats, cats, kind of. Not all cats. <laughs> no, I've seen some very friendly cats. Oh, I love cats. I love. I'm a dog person, but I love cats. Um, and there are some cats that are great, but cats stereotyped personalities that they don't need anyone. They go and they knock shit stuff over. They knock stuff <laughs> over when they want to. They eat when they want. They poop when they want, and they don't answer to anybody. Right? Dogs, on the other hand, are the opposite of that. Now, keep in mind these these people also don't want anybody to rely on them. They're 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 like the lone wolves. 
Mm-hmm. I'll say that they're they're low, lone wolves. So one man wolf pack. <clears throat> I, I haven't heard a reference to the Hangover in a long time, um, but it's true. It, it's they don't want anything to do with anyone else. They they want to stay to themselves, you know. And even and especially when it, and I will say this, especially when it comes to any emotional bond, they will either suppress it or they will avoid it at all costs. There's your avoidance. Um, there's a lot of reasons why this can happen, though. And I, I will say that. So, because I know what your next question is going to be. So, how does this happen as a child? How do how do you become avoidant as a child? Is that what I sound like? That's my voice. Is that what I sound like? Is that my voice? All right, all right, Jack Black. <laughs> Go back to <laughs> So, typically, as as a, a young and as a young whippersnapper, um, typically, this is and this is kind of going back to the secure attachment. I cannot emphasize the the importance of being present. If a person, if a parent especially is not present, and I, I'm the, let me say this: a parental figure, because again, things can change. You know, somebody a parent leaves, and sometimes they're re- right. Then the the par- other parent gets remarried, and then the, sometimes the step parent actually ends up becoming more of a parent than the. And it, it does happen. It actually does fulfill that role. I've seen it where the step parents have been basically the, the parent. I mean, like bio almost fill can easily fill in the shoes of the biological parent, mm-hmm. um, and the kids don't know any different. Like it's it it still fulfills that need. Um, however, if those parents are not there, if a parent is absent or a guardian is absent, and a child feels the need that they have to take care of themselves. They have to, they, they kind of go into a survival mode. Um, they learn how to handle things on their own. You see this a lot with um, neglect, neglect cases, usually with like child protective services. Mm-hmm. You know, they, you know, the eight-year-old in the house is learning how to make their own, like cook their own meals and do their own laundry while mom, or even like this, you know, the, the, while the mom is out working or mom's out doing whatever um or dad is <laughs> um like matilda yeah yeah that's actually a good example i mean matilda had to get she got very independent very young she was only like six in the movie <laughs> from scratch exactly <laughs> but that's but that's but that's how it starts they haven't you know you you have so you distance yourself emotionally and you learn how to just do things practically and through reasoning and through logic and step-by-step. Step. And I hate to say, you've never really had the time to develop an emotional attachment to someone or the opportunity because that, that opportunity was missing. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And so I'm, I'm looking at um, like how it manifests as an adult right now. And so this is what I'm seeing. And I think that you pretty much hit the nail on the head on all of these. But um, if you are an independent person, content to care for yourself and don't feel you need others, if you are. Absolutely. There's a good popular example right now. And I hate to say it's because I've been hooked on the show recently. Uh If you've watched The Witcher. Mm, I haven't watched it, but. What's his name? Henry Carville. Say again. Henry Carville. Is that his name? Carville. Yeah. Superman, dude. Carvel or Cavill? Yeah, Superman. No, he played Cavill. Mm, I think. Okay, if you so he plays the Witcher, and the whole thing about the Witcher is he was abandoned as a child. 
he actually i just got I, spoiler um <laughs> no but that's the whole point about the wit like the, the thing behind witchers is that their parents give up give them up to be tested for these trials and his you know and that's I, i'm not going to give too much away but they're they don't show emotion they don't that's actually like a character i'm giving characteristics of the witcher they don't show emotion they are lone wolves he doesn't like he hates having anybody join him on his journeys like just lone wolf mentality doesn't trust other people like, i got this i'm doing it on my own you like stay out of my way he literally will say that like anybody that gets in my way like just and that's 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 a attachment style and it, i hate to say is because the same exact reasons because he didn't have a parental figure available the one he did have went missing purposely Okay. So, I mean, I love that we can pull things from society, from media, from pop culture into this podcast. And but how, how would it look in real life? Because, but it's true. We, we <laughs> do, we relate things and we take so much from, you know, the shows we watch and TV and pop culture that it's good that we can relate it to things like this because it makes it easier for people to conceptualize, right? So I've never seen The Witcher. I don't know anything about it. I plan on watching it, but you know, now I, I'm understanding of like when I see it, okay, that's definitely avoidant attachment. That makes sense to me. Let me put this now. No, let me say this. When when you think of it that way, though, like when you think of it just being like, ah, he's a lone wolf, right? He doesn't, eh, right? It, they may seem high functioning as an adult. Right. I'm saying like, if you think of somebody like one of the things we strive for is being independent, being strong, you know, ready to take the world on. There's, there's a lot of issues with that though. There's a lot of issues with that. And one, I think I talked about two episodes ago. I don't even remember now. Um, 15 million episodes ago, uh, four score and seven years ago. The one, the, the biggest problem with that is that we as humans are social creatures. We have always been social creatures, even, you know, prior to us becoming homo sapiens, like our, you know, you look at gorillas and chimpanzees, you know, they live in large communities and they care for each other's young and use tools for each other. Like, that's how we are. You know, I, I always use this example, even the most basic tasks. So let's say you go to, to the supermarket and you want to buy some food. You need not always nowadays, but usually somebody rings you up. Somebody had to stock the food. Uh, somebody had to, a, a truck driver had to bring the food there. Someone had to put that, had to get it down the manufacturer, right through the company, through the factory. Depending on what kind of food, they had to make the food or prep the food for, for shipping. You know, I mean, like we all depend, we are so interlinked, even at the most basic level. People don't think of it that way. You know, we, we, we are depending on each other as a society. Now, of course, now we, we talk about emotional needs. We really need each other, especially in those, those intimate moments or, you know, with our friends and family and loved ones. Um, somebody that's a, huh? no, 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 God. I was going to say, and we've seen that so much over the last two years with COVID is how much we need that social interaction and how yeah. big of an impact it takes on you when you don't have it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's trust me. I hate doing telehealth for that reason. Because you're missing the human factor. You miss that 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 emotional part. Yeah. So I'm much. sorry I interrupted you. No, no, no. I, I see how it is. It's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but just but think of it this way. So that person is going to have so much difficulty engaging in a relationship. 
of any kind, any kind of close relationship. They're not going to trust anyone. The closer someone tries to get to them, they're going to clam up even more. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. I don't need you. No, 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 no. Stay away. The wall goes up. Right. Yeah. We've seen that. We've all seen that. Yeah. Right. The wall goes up. Um, person, the person is often coming off as distant and closed off because of that. Um, they often will say that their partner is being too needy. Mm-hmm. If it's a partner, um, <laughs> checking off my list. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh-oh. Um, they tend to minimize other people's feelings mm-hmm. or keep things from them because, again, they're very closed off. So they're going to, it, it may. So, again, this is kind of leaning more towards narcissism. This is yeah, more of that. This is definitely narcissism. This is narcissism. Um, narcissism. It's they do. They, they gaslight. I mean, they'll, they'll, again, they're, uh, and this isn't everybody. Not everybody that has avoidant attachment styles is going to be a narcissist. Please don't think that. Don't think if you're like, oh, no, this sounds like me. It doesn't mean you're a narcissist, please. You might be. I don't know. But it doesn't mean you aren't. Let me interject uh, real quick. So at, right after I experienced my abuse, right? So the, after I left and I was still recouping and trying to figure out who I was again, I had a very avoidant attachment spot style to everyone except my, my parents, but even still a little bit. And my best friends, like still a little bit was really nervous about allowing other people in my space. Um, I wouldn't say it was avoidant though. But I was avoidant because I was I was minimizing the people around me. Oh, uh, okay. I right. was pushing away anyone who was trying to get close to me. And the relationships, whether they were romantic or just sexual in nature, that would come to try and be near me. Um, the second they'd tried to uh, like kind of penetrate my wall, I'd push them away or I would completely withdraw. No, that's not avoidant. But here's my, here's my question. Did you want to be close to people? Yes, you, and you, no. See, and that's, see, that's the thing. No, no, no. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna correct you there. You weren't avoidant. Okay. You wanted people to be there. These people don't want anyone near them. Okay. Like the, the desire is not there. Okay. You were at that point. You were because of the trauma, and this goes back to kind of what my story I was telling about myself. Mm-hmm. Probably more of the ambivalent style. Okay. Like that's- you were very weary and and unable to trust. Okay. So that's I wouldn't say avoidant. I would say it was definitely more so anxious type because you you wanted it, but you didn't. Okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I like that I couldn't, I I wasn't emotionally or no, you didn't know how. You didn't know how to, yeah, you weren't capable. Like what the like how do I how do you even get to that point? Okay, okay. So so it's a little different. And feel okay, that makes sense. Avoidant, they want nothing to do with it. Nothing. It's so, not so much that they don't trust people. They don't want to trust people. Ah, uh, okay. So it's, okay. That's a very, a very strong difference. difference. Big difference. Okay. The, the ambivalent and anxious want to, they want the connection. So it says on my checklist, you may prefer fleeting casual relationships um, yes. instead of long-term or intimate ones. You seek partners who are equally independent and who will keep distance emotionally. So it's, probably just like a physical, a physical need relationship. And then that's it. Yep. Right. So people who are just seeking out sex or whatever, uh, those are people who are more likely to be avoidant. Narcissist. Narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, th- I'll throw it out there. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's a lot of the, 
it, it really, I hate to say it, it does check off a lot of those boxes, but I'm again, this, these are general, these are very <laughs> general. I'm going to, I want to preface that these are general doesn't mean you're a narcissist. These are some of the things that you're saying. Um, and as we said in the overview episode, you know, you can have different attachment styles with different people. So I definitely have, you know, people in my life who are more avoidant or who I am more avoidant of. Like I have toxic family members who I do not want to be around and I avoid them at all costs. I oh yeah. Emotional oh, relationship. I don't want, I don't want them to hug me. I don't even want to be in the same state as them. You know, those <laughs> Why are you the- moved to Chicago. I knew it. Where they live. They live here. <laughs> Come back to Jersey quick. <laughs> I'm drunk. <laughs> but so, so I can have an avoidant attachment to somebody, but, but it's good for my mental health to be that way because those people and their energy to me is toxic. So as like a self-preservation and, and self-care tactic, no, I'm, I'm veering off. Eh, I'm wondering how much of that's avoidant versus just setting a boundary. Mm, dang, you're right. I avoid them at all costs because my boundary. <laughs> but that's but that's also a secure attachment within yourself. That's true. Ooh, we should do an episode on that attachment. Oh dear God, no, I'm not. No, the, the type of relationship you have within yourself. Oh, I could do a whole series on that. Well, sounds like we have uh, another. Episode. Oh no, nope, nope. <laughs> that's your boundary. You're setting a boundary. Help me. No, it's but it's true. I don't, I wouldn't say it's an avoidant attachment style. That well, it could be. I mean, we could argue that it is because again, it's a wall. It's an emotional wall that you're putting up. I think I I think I have an intentional avoidant attachment that's to a, that person. Right? That's a better so way of saying it. Yeah. On purpose, so it could be a boundary, but the attachment style is still avoidant. Yeah, right? that's that sounds man. That sounds more accurate. <laughs> Sounds more accurate. And so, so oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say the only th- other thing I might add in there is I, I it, you know, if somebody with an avoidant attachment style doesn't, I don't think they understand. They don't personally understand how maladaptive it is. You know, and like I said, we are social creatures and, you know, we all, like deep down, we all crave some sort of connection, emotional connection to other people. And, it, it, like those people may seem independent, self-sufficient, and on the surface, fantastic. But deep down, it's it's going to come back to bite them at some point. It's going to because they're not having that need fulfilled. And like you said, they're going to find like they may be superficial or you know they're they're trying to fulfill that need very quickly. So quickly and and like you said, superficially and and yeah. disingenuously. Sure. <laughs> I love that word. Wrong so much. Disingenuous thinking. Anyways, <laughs> but yeah, okay. So that makes a lot of sense. So it's people who have very, very um, surface level needs, and they don't want any emotion attached. They don't want anything attached. They don't need people, or so they think, and so they almost not socially think, isolate. But think, they- think small talk versus you know meaningful conversation. Okay. So it's people who seek out small, I mean, it's small talk level versus like exactly. emotional connection level. How's the weather versus why is the weather happening that way? <laughs> well, one is an existential crisis and the other one is just. <laughs> well, and that's what I mean is it's a deeper connection. You're looking for a deeper connection to the weather. Um... <laughs> so to sum this all up, 
Um, secure attachments are like the health. I'm sorry. Were you going to say something else? No. Okay. So uh, I'm just uh, securely attached to my mic now. There you go. Secure attachment. I'm securely attached to my coffee. Um, secure attachment is people with like the, you know, the healthy relationship that can communicate well and respect each other and set boundaries and they respect those and they trust each other and they have, you know, the emotional connection, right? And then avoidant dismissive attachment or avoidant attachment style is the exact opposite. It's people who don't want any emotional connection, who are very independent and stand only for themselves and need very little from others or so they believe, right? They selfish jerks in the very world. Selfish, narcissistic, and like prioritize. Their Not self-care. always. Not, Not always. always, but people who prioritize their, their wants and needs over others. Yes. Got it? And some of those things. But yes, that, no, but I mean, that is hell. That can be maladaptive in those relationships. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. So I think we've pretty much yeah. covered. Those two. We've only got those two. Now the next episode, there's two more. And those two, I'm going to be honest with you, are the, the ambivalent and the disorganized. Dis- disorganized. Thank you. Those two are a little bit harder to pull, to, to pluck apart. So I think, I think they're we similar them together the right way because yes, we did. ambivalent and disorganized are very, are, are similar enough. More similar than, and these two are polar opposites. Right. So, so we have covered today secure attachment style and avoidant attachment style. And then on the next episode, we are going to cover ambivalent attachment style and disorganized attachment style. So stay tuned. We'll see you next week for more attachment style things. Thank you again for coming, James. You're such an awesome guest. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Healing from Emotional Abuse podcast today. Before you go, it's important that you know that what you're feeling is normal. Everyone responds to trauma, narcissism, and abuse differently. Our brains go into survival mode to protect us from harm. But I want to make sure you know that you're not alone. I'm here, and I want to brainstorm ways that I can help ease your healing journey. Imagine you're standing on a cliff, and on the other side of a deep canyon is the life that you dream of. A partner who connects with you, supports you, and empowers you and makes you laugh and smile, a life filled with freedom, confidence, and peace, good friendships, strong relationships. I've been where you are now. I've been standing on that edge, dreaming of the life that I have now. And I built the bridge between where you are and that dream that seems unreachable. I've walked this path with thousands of survivors who live a free, confident, and peaceful life now. Let's walk this path together. If you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. That's www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. Marissa would love to develop a made for you healing plan to heal from emotional abuse. She does all the work and you just show up. Stop feeling stuck, alone and hurt and live a free, confident and peaceful life. Don't forget to subscribe to the Healing from Emotional Abuse podcast and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Marissa F. Cohen and Instagram at marissa.fay.cohen. We'd love to see you there.